Hello everybody and welcome back to MarTech Masters. I'm here with Jay Akunso. He is the founder of Marketing Showrunners. Thank you, Jay, for being here today. This is an honor and a pleasure to have you here. And I can't wait to talk about all these great things that we have prepared. Uh, thank you for being here. How are, how are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. I appreciate the energy. That's an awesome way to start. So thanks for having me. I it's going to be a loud uh, episode. Loud. Again, it, this is the Italian episode, right? So with, with Akunso and Margulio, this is going to be a loud episode, everybody. So uh, maybe you need to change the volume settings today before you start uh, or something like that or not. Like get excited about everything, right? Yeah, I like. The, I think I'm good on the microphone. I'm not good for microphones. That's just there you go. They get yeah. they they break all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, uh, your companies, your efforts? Tell us uh, so people know who you are and why you're here today and why we are so excited about having you today. Yeah, I mean it's funny. I I, I just like to make stuff, and somehow people are like, "That's there's a secret in there. How do you do that? What do you do?" It's I don't know. I just like to make stuff. So, but the way I try to phrase it and like focus all of my creations is to think about the the mission behind the work in my own career and for our organization, which always stays the same, even though the projects are always changing. So the mission is to help people find and share their voices and make a difference through the created work. And so right now, the way that looks is a couple things. So I'm working on a, a launching a documentary series with the brand Help Scout called Against the Grain, which uh, was before the quarantine. So there's video proof of me hugging people I'd just met, hello and goodbye, which as an Italian, I miss so much. Um, but Against the Grain endeavors to reclaim what business success should mean from the typical story of winner take all, high growth, growth at any cost, scorched earth capitalism and business growth. And we're looking for and telling the stories of these companies that put people at the center of it all, that their values lead the way and they're doing something and using their business to do something for good in the world, for the world, for their communities. It doesn't matter. Um, and so the first three episodes launched this fall. So really excited about that. And then building marketing showrunners, which is my um, education company where we teach marketers how to make great shows. And so those two things have me pretty busy. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And and, and through Marketing Showrunners and, and your podcast, those podcasts have been an incredible resource for us. Companies like us, we use it all the time and we learn from it all the time. So tell us more about the whole concept of helping people find their voice and, you know, the best approach to them. Like, tell us more, a little bit more about that and why you got to to get into the, the whole podcast um, world. Right. Well, I came out of content marketing, so worked at companies like Google and HubSpot, and then my last in-house job was at a venture capital firm. So I was building the brand of the firm, but also working with our portfolio of startups. So I've, I kind of saw innovation at grand scale on the precipice of an IPO. That was HubSpot. I worked for a couple startups and then with a VC firm investing in startups. So I sort of see these different flavors of innovation and creativity and, and all that stuff. And, and then right around the time I was thinking about leaving, um, I had this side project show called Unthinkable, which continues to be just a side project in a little lab where I get to tinker. And I just learned, first of all, fell in love with the craft of making shows. And because I'm a natural born writer, that's how I identify, but had never done anything over this machine right here until then, uh, but fell in love with it. And more so kind of saw this reaction from people that even as someone who thinks of himself as a decent writer, it was hard to see from, from other people finding my writing, which was this like deep connection. Just like, like I would speak at a conference and people would come up like we were old friends because they'd heard my voice so much on a podcast. And it was like, oh wait, do I, 
oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I can't remember. Have we met before? And they'd go, oh, no, no, no. I just listened to your show. And it was like, oh, thank God I'm not a jerk and forgot you. It's that you listen to my show. So I, I just saw the power of podcasting for my own work, uh, my side project aspirations. And I'd also built one for the venture capital firm where I worked. So I saw the power of, you know, kind of a very premise driven podcast in a saturated niche, which was entrepreneurship. And uh, I thought to myself, there's something here, but why? And the big realization was that for years, marketing was focused too much on grabbing attention, not enough on holding it. Or if you want to treat humans like humans, not leads in sales, uh, marketing is not about who arrives, it's about who stays. And it just so happens that a show is a great way to encourage people to stay, to earn trust and love over time, to gain affinity, not just awareness. And, you know, for my money, to spark change, to make a difference. And so after doing my own shows, I started making shows for brands for a few years. And that led me to shift from making shows for brands, which I still do a little bit of, I mentioned against the grain, but really that's scaled back to one or two shows a year with clients. And now I'm really focused on trying to teach it because I think that's how I can have the most impact while also doing my own, you know, kind of like personal funded shows. That's awesome. And, and, and I love that you connected. At the end of the day, a show is content, but with the human aspect, right? There's a connection because of the voice, because of if it's video, you can see the person and, and people connect at a different level. So how can that help you build your brand, right? What's the connection between that human connection and that and, and, and what we're craving, right? Like, especially nowadays, right? We're craving that human connection and building a brand around it. Why when you connect at a human level and you, you, you get those audiences to engage, you can actually build a brand and, and make a business better in, in every way, right? Right. Well, I think go, I go back to what I said there about a show being a vehicle to make a difference. I think about the way, you know, so we do workshops for podcasters and, and soon we'll do video show workshops too. But people who want to use their voice and make a show that supports their business, the show is not itself their business, right? So we're not talking about media or hobbyists. You know, we get some people like that, but mostly it's makers and marketers and entrepreneurs and executives and freelancers. Like that's our core, core audience. And they all believe that something is either underexplored in their niche and they're really curious to go deeper and really understand it because they think it's important or something is broken about the status quo and they have this vision for what would be better and the journey to bridge the gap between the status quo and their vision for the future is the show, is the exploration. So a show is this awesome vehicle to basically say to other people, and here's your human comment there. Um, hey, I, I think this deserves a little bit of a deeper explanation than is going on elsewhere or exploration, or I think that this is broken and, and maybe this is the better way. That's our belief. Do you believe in that? Do you see what we're pointing out here? Okay, great. Come along for this journey. We don't have all the answers, but we're on the hunt for them. And so that's where you give people this motivation to subscribe is you have a premise, which is not just what you cover, but how you cover it and why, which also gives the, the audience a reason to subscribe. And I don't mean click a button, by the way. I don't mean join a list. I mean they subscribe to the belief system, to the ideas, right, to the journey that you're on. And then the default is, well, how do I do that? I have to click a button next to do that, technically. Um, so we think too much in marketing terms about the button click instead of giving them a reason to subscribe to your beliefs and come along for the journey, right? So I'd sum all this up as you're telling the story of the show, of the journey, as much as the stuff inside of it is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at the end of the day, subscribing is more a human action, a I'm going to come back and actually listen to the show and spend time 
with your brand and not so much, you know, I'm going to subscribe. So then I, you bombard me with a bunch of emails that I don't ever want to read. Right. Or right. The subscription is a lot more than the amount of subscribers is how much people are engaging with the content that you're creating. Right. There, there was a, a, a French intellectual by the name of Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. My French is terrible. I probably butchered that. But he has this amazing quote about motivation and people, uh, which is that if you want to build a ship, don't gather wood and gather people for the cause. Help people long for the endless sea. Right? That's what we're so bad at doing in marketing. It, it's like answering this really critical question everybody's going to have about your work which is if I actually opt into this journey, right? If I'm with you, if I'm subscribing technically from the button click or philosophically from my alignment with you, what's going to be different for me when I'm done? The, the listener, the audience, the prospect, the customer, they should be asking that question. They will be asking that question, which means you should be answering it. And so for me, most shows, especially in the business world, but across sectors, they do a really poor job of trying to answer that, even though that's the first thing on people's mind and the most important thing. Like, how are you helping me long for what could be, the story of what could be, the endless sea? Instead, what we busy ourselves doing is being like, and here's my podcast, and we talk to these people, and we do this thing because podcasts are a thing. And by the way, we also have this over here, and we have this over here. And it's like, do you want that commodity? We have that right this way. Uh, instead of being like, actually, I have a firm belief. This is about here not about here, and we're going in that direction, come with us. And by the way, if it's not for you, fine, it's not for you because that's a helpful friction to bring the right people to you and repel the wrong people. So of course, nowadays we're going through a crisis, right? And, and, and there's a lot of pain out there. And, and, and of course, it's not easy for everybody. It's hard for a lot of people. At the same time, on the business world, we're seeing businesses that have suffered a lot, businesses that are adapting and doing new things and businesses that are growing incredibly, right? So a lot of people are deciding how to change, what to, what to adapt, what to do next. And of course, podcasts are a thing that everybody has in their mind because it's something you can do from home, because it's something you can record remotely. So more and more people are creating podcasts these days. Now, not a lot of people are doing it right. Not everybody is thinking about these things that you're saying. Um, so what do you think is the reason, first of all, why people are turning, you know, going into podcasts and how can marketers, first of all, do it right and also convince leadership teams because that's a whole other conversation is how do we get leadership teams to be, go behind this idea of running something long term and building brand and creating emotional connection. Uh, I think I asked you 15 questions there, but if you, can, if you can put together an idea after that, that'll be yeah. awesome. It's good self-awareness as an interviewer, I got to say. I do that a lot where I'm like, I'm starting this question and then I have a lot of things I want to say. Where do I land the plane? Like, let me just start with what I, end with what I started with, right? Uh, so good, good on you. Um, all right. So let me unpack it this way. We get too obsessed with trends in marketing. We pay too much attention to the industry echo chamber. It turns out the more attention you pay to the customer, the more they'll pay for you to you, right? The more time we spend serving the customer, the more they'll want to spend time with you. So I would my first advice is who gives a damn if other marketers are launching podcasts? Because if you're chasing that, if you're like reacting to it, it's a sign you didn't have a proactive plan all along. You don't know why you exist. You're a commodity. And what I've heard people say before, I think Tom Peters may have originally written this, but commodity is a choice. 
So if you want to actually go out there and say, we're just like all these other companies, but we're going to win on price, or we happen to be here in front of you now and others are not. If you think that you the way to win is you you have to out trick and out coerce and out hustle and out scream your competitors to be in the pole position for your customer to come your way, you have an underlying problem that's far worse than just what marketing channel do we look at right now. So the first thing I'd say is it doesn't matter if there's a lot of podcasts being launched. What you have to figure out is what is broken about your customer's reality? What do they not understand? What, it, what are they struggling with? Like we need to act less like marketers and more like software product managers. Software product managers go talk to customers and they don't ask for their ideas. It's not about what they want. It's about, all right, what, what's frustrating you right now to the customer or the prospect or the audience? How are you trying to solve that? Tell me more about what's frustrating and still broken despite your current attempts at solving that. All right, I'm going to go away for a while. And I'm going to get with my team who has taste and vision and imagination and skills. And we're going to give you a solution you didn't know to ask for. And one possible solution to that in a marketing context is this show that owns this theme. I'll give you an example. Uh, There's a B2B company in Indianapolis, Lessonly. And they sell training technology for sales teams, internal training for sales teams and customer support teams. So their customers are like L&D managers at slightly larger organizations that have to do internal trainings. And they could have had a podcast that's about like training sales, right? We're going to interview the best sales trainers in the world. Instead, they launch a show called Practice First. Because in trying to teach great teams how to be great at practicing, they realize we don't know how to practice in our jobs. So why don't we own that theme and explore it? I don't think at any point they were like, who else is launching a podcast? I think they were like, this is a broken thing that's still not better for our audience. So that's a sign that like, there's the podcast. It's not about the audio. It's about the difference we're making through the audio, right? So don't think about the container. Think about the value inside of it. That's what the audience actually wants. Practice first is a concept or a premise led show that is defensible. It's not yet another. It's the only, it's an original. And all it takes is that willingness to act like a product manager and investigate the problems instead of a marketer and look at the trends and glom onto them. And and of course that becomes a, a lot easier sell to leadership because at the end of the day it's behind the plan and 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 there's a problem that we're fixing and that's what you need to explain you don't need to explain hey we need to do a podcast because everybody's doing a podcast and it's going to be great and then we'll see if we can prove that this is creating any success it's more okay this is the mission this is what we're trying to achieve this is the audience this is who we're solving for and then these is these are the different efforts that we're putting together for that Right. If, if you ask why, like you, your clients, you do this with your clients so brilliantly. If, if you ask why or your client is internally debating, should you do something? And the answer is because I said so, get out of that organization, right? Find a better boss to work for. But if you ask why and the answer is, oh, I don't know, like the door is open to say, well, I know the customer really, really well. And we have a good opportunity here to serve them more deeply. And if we do, lots of benefits will happen. You know, you can kind of summarize them as one of two benefits will happen or both. The lifetime value of that audience is going to go up because they're going to spend way more time with you and love you. And the cost of customer acquisition for your business is going to go down because that army of super fans, now that you're turning them into super fans, will evangelize your cause, right? So you get higher valuable, uh, higher, more valuable audience or bigger, more valuable audience and cheaper acquisition costs. And like that sound you hear right now is every executive drooling because that's what they want. Right. So there's a logical, rational case to do very emotional, creative work. 
Of course, of course, that that's awesome. And that maybe the question about leadership is more how do we sell creative work? Uh, and the answer is that the plan, the mission, the why, the the audience. If you start with that, then it doesn't matter what you're gonna do. Probably the the leadership team is gonna be like, do whatever you need to do. Like the only thing they care about is the why you're gonna do what you need to do, and not so much the medium or if you're gonna do it on social or if it's Twitter or LinkedIn. They don't care about those things. They care about cost of customer acquisition, you know, yeah, keeping customers happy so they stay longer with you, people engaging with your brand. So I, I love changing the conversation instead of trying to continue to prove whatever it is that we think they think they need to prove, right? Right, right. And I think there's a misnomer that creativity requires budget. It's just the way you approach whatever work you're already doing. Um, Creativity is just this interplay between repetition and reinvention. You do things all the time, right? So you're now reflecting on them and getting feedback on them and you're doing it a little bit better the next time and the next time and the next time and the next time. Like, so with our workshop students, we say to them, you are responsible for the repetition. We're giving you a safe place to do that and prompts to do that. You're responsible to put in the work. What we're giving you is a guided system to know how to reinvent those repetitions so that they get better and better with every rep you put in. So it's not about creative freedom. It never is. That doesn't exist. There's always some constraints you're dealing with. So we're better off, I think, understanding what are my constraints here and can we get to an agreement and clarity on them? Because the box is actually where innovation happens. Um, we see this all the time with research studies on creativity. Knowing your constraints ahead of time and actually having them written out you generate more ideas and more effective ideas at the same time. So I, I think don't sell creativity. That, that's the wrong way to look at it. It's how you approach anything you do that makes you creative or not. That's awesome. That's awesome. So now, now that we, we have that defined, when is a podcast a great medium to, to, to sell that idea, to connect with that audience? What, when do you think a podcast is the, the, the perfect medium? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that have, have to happen first to decide. Um, there's just really three parts to this a premise, the format, and talent. So the premise is not just what you're exploring, but how you're exploring it. Practice first is a premise. The Lessonly podcast is not, right? Yet another interview with a, a, a person who leads trainings internally would not be a premise for them. So the premise is like, if you think of it as you're trying to get to that mountain peak over there, the premise is like, all right, we're, we're going to explore this terrain in this way. You know, like we're kind of, that's the mission. That's the vision for why the show exists. So our angle into this jungle between us and the mountain peak will be this. Um, another good example is we have a show called Three Clips at Marketing Showrunners. The premise is that we want to dissect great shows a few pieces at a time because we believe creativity is about the minutia, the tiny choices that we can all make. It's not about doing something big. It's just that when you master the minutia, your work seems grand, right? Exactly. So that's the premise of our show. There's other shows that talk about podcasting. They do so in different ways. Um, so when you have a premise, then you go to format. It's like, all right, that's what we're trying to do. How do you execute that inside of an episode, an experience? We don't necessarily know the medium yet, but we're getting closer. Because now it's like, is this a video? Do we have to show somebody something on camera? Is it visual? Or can we just tell them? Is it audio, right? And then the talent is really where you're going to decide definitively is this an audio experience or video? Because not everyone's great on camera. Not everyone's great on just a microphone. This is a learned craft, whether you're interviewing people or telling stories. So once you start planning out the show in the context of making your premise, your format, and your talent decisions, it should become clear, is it a podcast or is it not? 
That's great. And, and I, I love that you're talking about the talent too, because it takes years to get better at, to get good at these things. You know, and it, it, yeah. we're all learning constantly. You know, first of all, I, I have my English problems, English as a second language that uh, becomes quirks and becomes making me the quirky guy that is a CEO, but also speaks weirdly and it, it's screaming all the time and things like that. And that's what you talked about, about learning who you are and connecting yeah. with who you are. But also over time, you need to learn how to listen, how to pick up on what someone's saying and actually ask a follow-up question. And those things cannot happen if the person is not versed in those, in those situations. Right. And at, like you said, practice is important. You need to keep doing this. So consistency would be one of the mo most important things for podcasts or video series. You have to do it for a long time. You can't expect things to happen all of a sudden after episode three, right? A hundred percent. And this is what's so dangerous about a lot of business shows where they do interviews. Like this is an interview show, right? Um, you've discovered how hard it is to get people to say the right thing, say interesting things, to stop ranting for too long <laughs> when they give answers. Hello. Uh, so it's a learned craft. Um, interviewing someone else is actually leaving more to chance that your experience could go awry and be bad because it's more production in the moment or editing in the moment, I should say. Because now you're thinking, do I ask Jay for an example? Do I follow up on that same point? Do I just move on to the next question? What do I do here? And it's so it's, I, I liken it to a dance. When someone is great at it, it looks like they're just moving, but they know all these hidden little tricks and techniques. And that's so practiced and learned. It's not like I can't do a lot of editing. So an interview is easy. It's hard. It's hard to be good. And it's also fun. That's the fun part of it. Like if you really enjoy it, that's the fun part of it. We're actually having a conversation, you know, at the end of the day, if you ask me to write, of course, with English as a second language, writing for me, is going to be always a challenge. So if you need me to write a thousand word blog, I'm going to be like working for 15 days on it and it's not going to be great. You ask me to be in front of a camera, I'm going to be happy uh, every day of, of the week. I would do one. Uh, so that that's also something that you need to see with 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 the people that are running these things is are, what are they going to enjoy? Are you going to enjoy this? Is is being happy about these things important? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, there's this the the word is intrinsic and the opposite is telic. Telic means done to a definite end, a chore. When, when it's, it's a chore, when the work feels like a chore, we just want to skip it. We don't pay attention to the process. We want to outsource it, automate it. We avoid it. It's all the bad behaviors that we see in a lot of marketing, quite frankly. Um, and that's because it feels like a chore. But when you enjoy it, an amazing thing happens to your brain. You're like, what was that feeling? I want it more and I want to get better at it. So when you seek it out more and seek to improve it, I mean, that's going to do wonders for your work. So enjoyment is a big, big part of it. It doesn't sound strategic, but... I actually think it really is. Awesome. Awesome. So of course you've already talked a lot about the different important aspects of deciding what kind of show, if a show is important, like the mission and everything where you're trying to solve. Now, once you decided this is a podcast, what are the most important aspects of a podcast? Uh, so, so the podcast becomes engaging and, and it, it's not three hours. It's not two minutes. Like, and, and it's not just how long it is, but what are some of these important aspects that people need to think about when, when they're defining that podcast format? Yeah, I mean, there's. Um, I mentioned the three core components to think through. The premise, that's the whole show, right? That's the concept of the show, what you're exploring and how. 
there's the format, which is how do you have a plan to get people to the end? Because that's re- once you say something that matters on your show, that's the premise. How do you get people to the end? Because that's the next challenge. They're listening. You have to construct it in such a way that's interesting. And I don't just mean an intro, an interview or leaving the chance and an outro. I mean, in the interview, what sections or blocks or beats do you move through? Or if you do narration and storytelling, how do you craft that story? Um, the best technique anybody can learn. I don't believe in silver bullets, but this is damn close. It's called an open loop. So stories are just this constant, almost like accordion motion of increasing tension and resolving it, increasing tension and resolving it. So early on, when you open your episode, you're trying to leave some things unstated, unresolved, so people know it's coming and it's desirable, right? So today we're talking to Jay. Jay's going to tell us this, this, this. Decent, what they call open loop. You've started to give some details and they want closure, but it happens later. So what this does is it prompts them to stick around. So these open loops can happen in the micro moment, like you're telling a story and each detail means you want the next one, or it can happen in the macro across your whole show and everything in between. Um, So when I say to you, this morning I woke up, went downstairs to have coffee and I picked up my usual mug and I read the words I always read on that mug. I just described nothing. Nothing happened. That's interesting. But what is burning on your brain right now? What does it say on the mug? What does it say on the mug? (laughs) We're hardwired to want closure. And we can use that in abusive ways. That's called a clickbait headline. And we can use that in craft-driven, artful ways. Those are the open loops, the way you construct the story. So if you think of nothing else when you make a podcast, you should always be thinking about how do I raise tension, resolve it? How do I open a question, answer it? How do I make sure I'm giving some sequence of events and then the, the satisfying conclusion, the payoff? If you just do that, everything else gets easier. That's awesome. That's awesome. So when do we educate? When do we entertain? Uh, again, <laughs> When do we get serious about things? When do we get, you know, funny about things? Of course, it all depends on what your mission is. It depends on what this podcast is about. But is there a place for entertain entertainment? And is entertainment important as part of a podcast? Can I ask you a question about that question? Please, Why is it ahead. that we ask that a lot? Why? What? What is the difference between education and entertainment? And no, I, actually, I really want to know when when you say, and when do we entertain? What are you thinking of? Uh, and, and that's a great question. Thank you for asking me a question. This is the first time that someone asked me a question. And now to, so um, I understand that there's no, there shouldn't be difference because if we're educating the right way about something that people care about or they, they have a problem and we can fix it, it should entertain them, which means keeping them engaged in the moment, right? Uh, now, there's also the other side of entertainment, which is, you're not learning much. You're just being entertained. Yeah, it's it's vapid. It's hollow. Exactly. Right. So, right. so some, sometimes we are disconnecting these two things. And I love that you asked me the question and you, we can connect them again. And yeah. education should be entertaining yep. and yep. it should be engaging at least. Right. If you, are, if you are authentically interested you know, and passionate about what's being discussed, chances are it's going to be pretty entertaining. Because it's going to be really hard for you, that excitement not to come through. I would listen to anybody who makes anything, physical or digital, talk about the minutia of how they made it. 
because what they're very interested in is the minutia of making, I don't know, something ceramic like this mug, um, this notebook, this show. I may not care about the first two things at all, right? Professionally, I do care about shows, but I might not care about, but if you're interested in it and passionate about it and have examples and stories to share and insights to offer, it'll be entertaining. So I think the idea that there's a choice is a little bit of a false one. I think what we actually want to think through is what I call the, it's the pyramid of audience relationship. So the bottom tier, the table stakes is your relevant. It's like what we talk about is relevant to the world that our audience embodies and lives in. If you're not relevant, you don't even really exist, right? That seems to be the goal in too many cases. Be relevant. Congratulations. You now simply exist. The next level up is to be enjoyable. And that's also table stakes because we have infinite choice and we don't have a short attention span. We have a short or a low tolerance for boredom. And we're, we're trying to avoid, if something is boring, I'm out. Because it's, it's mostly like not necessary to endure a bad experience anymore because we have choice. So to be relevant, to be enjoyable, table stakes. The top two tiers of this pyramid is where you want to be. You want to be either refreshing or personal. Because refreshing means you're somehow different in a welcome way not a stunt like hollow vapid way like the the way not to be refreshing is to do something i joke about this all the time but i call it the fortune the wheel of fortune of fortune 500s it's like we have a game show where we bring on fortune 500 marketers for no other reason than we want to project that we're entertaining the wheel has nothing to do with your brand values the story that the difference you want to make in the lives of the audience it's just like well we got to be different so Slap on this hollow thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying find the things that are authentic to you and actually use that in your work. Be fully present. So the quirks that you have, my friend, that makes this show refreshing. Um, And on the top is personal. And that goes all the way back to the top of this episode with you and me talking about you're trying to make a difference for your audience in a way that does resonate. You're not just doing a show because it's a thing. Right. Yeah. So that's or, how I think about that stuff. And and also, and, and this ties very well with with the next question is like, when does a show generate money or businesses or or is the show more, hey, I want to do this because I love it and I also think that it's going to make a difference. Therefore, my business has a bigger mission than just making money and making money. And at the end of the day, absolutely every single one of those things helps the business too. So therefore, at the end, you make more money and you get better customers and happier customers and better partnerships and yeah. so mo- so much more, right? Right. So- it doesn't it doesn't extend the top of the funnel or you know or or help the bottom of the funnel purchases. What it does is everybody who interacts with your show, it's like it straightens the funnel for them, right? There's that deeper connection. So um, the analogy I always use is if a CMO built a basketball team or a small business leader created a basketball team. Every single player on the team would be judged by the number of points they scored that game, right? Everybody would have to be the alpha dog scorer on the team, except the winning basketball team has people that set up the score. Then there's the people that set up the people that set up the score, right? Then there's, there's like the moral support person. And then there's the, you know, the, the, there's the, the assist woman. And then, there, you know, all these people, the woman who plays defense. And so when you think about setting up a winning team, It's very much like setting up a winning portfolio of projects supporting your brand. A show is not going to be next to the hoop scoring your points. You may be able to survey people and they say, 
I bought because of your show. Great. But it is not direct marketing. So we don't necessarily have a measurement problem with shows. I think we do have an interpretation problem. We're seeing all of our marketing as direct marketing, but that's just one little narrow piece of a well-rounded team. Yeah. And, and we've seen it over and over again is, uh, as you mentioned, people come to you when you have a, you used to have in-person speaking engagements. We'll go, we'll come back to those one of these days and it's going to be amazing, uh, hopefully. But, um, but also you, you mentioned that people connected with you and they said, Hey Jay, how are you doing? You were, you didn't even know who they were because of that personal connection that you created with them by creating a show. And we've seen it throughout different aspects of what we do with business and partnerships and people that come to us that want to do things with us because they saw the show. And, uh, and also throughout the sales process, we see it throughout the sales process. People connect with us. And I say, Hey, by the way, I'm going to schedule a meeting with Kara, our strategist, who's going to bring, and she's like, yeah, Kara. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're like, hold on, you know, Kara? Yeah. I saw the episode the other day and that creates a completely different conversation. And as you said, it's the, human connection is that personal connection that we can by being personal right and creating that connection it if it affects absolutely every single aspect of yeah. business. yeah i you know i joke it's a little flippant and a little harsh but i joke people are like how do you tell if the show is working for the brand it's like are you awake so <laughs> the, the reason i say that is it, marketing is about participation in the community not promotion to the community if you're not participating with the people that you're trying to serve, how do you hope to serve them? How do you hope to create anything, content, product, or service that actually helps them in any way, in any context or niche? And so if you think of it that way, if marketing is about participation, you're part of the community, you're contributing to the conversation digitally and in person when appropriate, um, if you have that show, you're hearing stuff, you're feeling stuff, you're seeing things work over here in your marketing and sales a little bit better than they did before you had the show. What's that about? You know, I talked to a startup when I worked in VC that was really, really bullish on working with influential bloggers. They were in the healthy snacks industry. Um, they were like one of those monthly shipment companies. So the healthy snacks company that we invested in would work with a lot of bloggers that would review them and talk about the principles that they talked about. And they said, it's one of the best sales drivers we have. And I said, how do you measure that? Is there like an affiliate link? And they said, yeah, there is. You can track clicks coming from the blog, but we get almost no sales from that. But what we notice is the months where we publish more often, search traffic goes up, brand keywords goes up, direct traffic goes up, mentions go up. Like they're participating in the community. They're watching everything. They're taking a portfolio approach or a holistic view to their marketing instead of just looking at each player like, how many points did they score and they score and they score in a vacuum. So participate. And that's a, that's a great segue to what we we're going to talk about anyways, is how do you measure a podcast, right? Because if you look at the different platforms out there, uh, they are getting better. They are giving us some more data, but marketers want more data. We want to know every second spend with my show because I want to connect with sales and things like that. And of course, I would love to create these connections, but how do we measure success um, other than what we just talked about with metrics? How do we measure and track the success of a podcast? Do we do time spent with the brand? Do we do subscribers? Uh, how do you do this? And of course, it depends on the brand, but what have you seen that's better to measure the success 
of a podcast effort. So at first you have to define what it is for, right? So there's, there's two things you have to define. So one is what is the show for, for the audience? How do you measure that? I can't tell you because it's different shows have different purposes. Um, how do we measure the success of three clips, which is intended on making podcasting more accessible to the audience? Um, the way we measure that success is what we call URR. Because if it's not an acronym, it's not a metric in marketing. URR means unsolicited response rate. So if we're publishing these in-depth dissections of podcasts three, four, five times a month, and where people are spending hours with it, and we don't hear any responses from people like, hey, I launched this show, or hey, you should check out this podcast. It's from Jay, or it's from Marketing Showrunners. If we hear none of that, we're probably not having an impact to our audience. When we have workshop students come in, we ask them, have you listened to the show? What's your favorite episode? That kind of stuff, right? So that's one way to look at it is what is it for for the audience? How do you measure the impact on their lives? The other way to look at it is how do you measure the impact on your brand? And it's all about, for me, telling the story internally of a show you know is, is succeeding. Because you'll have a sense, if you're spending hours on a project, you'll have a sense if it's worthwhile or not, and you'll have conviction. And so if that's you, the way you tell the story is to gather three types of things and use it in your storytelling. I call these the three S's of podcast measurement. Uh, it's stats, surveys, and statements. Stats and statements are easy. Let's talk about those first. Stats, you have a portfolio of metrics, downloads, time spent, email subscription, hopefully relative to a specific list just for the show. And then you can actually track, are those subscribers more active with us than people who don't listen to the show? But then you have surveys. This is so powerful. How'd you find us? Before and after tests. Um, in your existing database, who listens, who doesn't. Now that you've tagged that, track who is the more active or more productive or lucrative type of customer or subscriber, the people who listen or watch your show, the theory is they will be more engaged, right? Um, so we don't survey enough. Gathering powerful insights to inform the rest of our content, that's ROI. And then um, statements, I mentioned we'd start there, I'm finishing there, whoops. Um, statements are just the, the responses. Are you getting qualitative feedback from people? Are they the right people? Are they saying passionate things? Um, not just retweeting or saying thanks, but actually interacting with you. Um, that's another sign too. And it, as you gather up all those things, that enables you to understand the success of the show and also tell the story of the success internally. And, and those are the most powerful ones, uh, those statements. Uh, it, it, has, it happens, again, rarely because it's, that's what you're looking for, right? Like, but the more it happens, the more success you're creating with your show. But when someone says, oh, I listened to that episode and it was so great and what he said and what she said. So I'm, it happens to me that all of a sudden we get those comments every once in a while and, and it, it, it brightens your day because that's why we're doing this. At the end of the day, creating a show, putting it on a blog, making it a video, putting it in all the different platforms and counting every click and every open and every hour and what, it, that makes absolutely no sense if someone doesn't actually enjoy it. Yep. The and curse the curse of great marketing happening today or the barrier is that the pixel was invented. Because you can place a <laughs> tracking pixel or have it fire in an email, on a website, in an ad, um, it has now given us this weird twisted view that every single thing we do can be measured down to the tiniest of details and in a direct response fashion. That is so profoundly not true and it prevents so much good marketing and good results from happening, right? That is one very narrow type of marketing. 
it was also, I love that you mentioned, you know, that at the end of the day, this is it because it connects back to what you said in the beginning is the heart and it's not the mind. It's not the thinking of the show. It's like where your heart is. Uh, and that's at the end of the day, what you're connecting with your audience to If They connected in their heart and this made a difference to, to them and they felt something when they were listening or viewing or and, and engaging with it, then you, you did a great job, right? I, I just don't understand this barrier. It's like a mental blocker we have. It's like, when in the history of humanity has like the most useful, helpful, or entertaining thing in your life in one specific domain or for one specific purpose not been the one you referred to others, not been the one you went with if they offered you something? It's bananas that we can't figure that out logically. It's that we have to have a chart that's automatically generated for us by a platform. That is bananas, Right, and I yeah, usually love clicks. bananas. I want to know how many clicks they These are did. Like some no. rotten bananas. Let me tell you, <laughs> that's crazy. So, Jay, this has been amazing. I can't tell you how excited I was about this episode, but now that it happened, it's even better. This is going to be incredible information. But I want you to tell us more about your project with Help Scout because it comes directly from the heart, and I believe it's something that a lot of people need to know about. Yeah. The typical business success story like really doesn't resonate with me. If you can't tell, I believe in craft and community. And, you know, I, I think they're also good for business, right? It's like if you make a difference with your work in some fashion, in my world, it's content, then good things happen to you backwards, right? Like that's how it works. You lead with value and value comes back your way and you serve others first instead of trying to serve yourself. But the business success story that we applaud leads to more hate for profit social media companies leads to more, um, you know, uh, depressed looking news conferences and Congress and cron Congress interviewing these executives. It just, we applaud hyper growth and blitz scaling and these destructive forms of business success. I believe one of the highest leverage vehicles for positive change in the world globally, if we're talking climate change or in your community or just for the people you're serving, like, Hey, do your job better and make it easier. Right. The highest and best vehicle for change or the most leverage comes from a for-profit business um, building themselves in such a way that they have uh, a values-based approach, that they care about the people on their team, their partners, their customers, the environment, the communities in which they operate. Um, I don't think business and bad are the same thing. The problem is the success story. The problem is the narrative we have. And because I have a hammer, it's called storytelling, maybe show storytelling in, in, uh, in particular, the nail is you know, going to have to come down swiftly, which is this terrible business success story. We have to change it. Um, so I partnered up with Help Scout. They believe the same thing. The CEO, Nick Francis, about a year and a half ago, pitched me on this grand vision he had, which was kind of blurry. It was kind of murky. We didn't have a name for it, but we were like, let's go find these companies and tell their stories. Um, these companies shouldn't exist if you look at the optics and the financials, because they have massive competitors who do believe in this like destructive form of capitalism. But these individuals, these teams have something you can't buy, which is deep human connection with those around them, right? Because they do things the right way. So Against the Grain was born. And we went out in the field with a small scrappy team of video shooters and producers. And um, I serve as the host and the writer and the co-director. And we're trying to tell those stories, but more importantly, elevate them and then unpack them so more people can say, hey, you know, maybe I can run my business that way or the next venture I start as an entrepreneur can look like that because I think what you're seeing, and it's not just our show, is you have these little stories and movements popping up all over trying to change the narrative around what business success should do for the world and look like, and it's bubbling. And what we're trying to do is 
turn up the heat a little bit. Like let's make it boil. Cause that's when positive change happens. Um, so the show launches this month in August. And we'll put a link here and a link everywhere. We'll put it on the right, right there. And also put it right across blog. my face. Just, <laughs> but, um, and, and again, I, I love the idea. I love the Thanks. idea of showcasing these companies. I, I always talk about how, you know, in the MarTech industry, we, we could, we could partner with so many companies and sometimes it's hard to find the right company. And a lot of people ask me, how do you find the best software for this, the best software for that, the best integration? Uh, and I always give the example of Wistia. Uh, I know we have a, um, shared love for Wistia here, but, uh, for me, Wistia, I, 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 I continue to be a, a partner with them and use their tools and, and, and work with them because of the people. And at the end of the day, that's the ultimate decision. The decision is not so much if this feature or that software, uh, at the end of the day is, can we build that partnership and are they running their, their business in a sustainable way and in a, in a diverse way. And they're, you know, connecting with the right people and supporting the right things and helping the planet and not breaking the planet like that. Those are decisions that, um, uh, me as a business owners, I can make, uh, when I choose software for me and for all the customers, uh, that we serve. So, uh, I also believe that making those decisions make a huge impact on the planet and other businesses and so much more. So thank you for showcasing these companies and we're definitely going to be part of the promotional, uh, uh, I, I want to help thank as much you. as possible. So that is send, so nice send us everything and we'll promote it everywhere. Thank man. you. Like, thank let's you so make much. it happen. Yeah. Oh, this yeah, is, this course. is the most meaningful project. And, and I hope it embodies the way we try to teach these shows too, because yes, right now it's a docu series, but we, there's a community development, um, happening around it. There's other types of content that, you know, we want to inspire more people to make their own versions of the show. Like the thing we're building is the IP and the goal is the difference we're trying to make. And it just so happens to be a video show. And we just so happen to have certain tools and technologies and metrics at our disposal. But, you know, hopefully this does continue to look at or look for um, the good in business and amplify it so more people follow it. Right. And oh, by the way, I think that will measure really well. I think there'll be great marketing for Help Scout. But the goal isn't promotion. It's, it's participation and, and positive change. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks again. And, and again, like I said, anything we can do to support this effort. Thank we'll you so be, much, brother. We'll that's, that's so meaningful. Sure, Thank you. Sure. So anything else you want to promote at the end of the day, again, I, I want to say thanks again. I think I said it 15 times, but as Italian to Italian, we need to continue to Solid. send some love to each other and, Solid. And, 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 and be very loud about everything. But uh, thank you for being here. But anything else you want to promote? Anything else that you have? I know you have your podcast and your uh, your workshops. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So right now we're opening enrollment or we have for the last couple of weeks now in August for our September 7th cohort. We do these online interactive group-based uh, workshops for makers and marketers. People launch new shows. They level up their shows. Um, the way I see it, you're going to do work on your show in the next eight weeks anyway. Why not make sure you're doing it in a safe and inspiring place with smart people and a guided system? Like make that work better if you're going to do it anyway. Um, so that's how we come at this. You're not going to go in a hole and watch five videos in a row and then nothing changes. Like you're doing real work on your real show, whether it's a new show or an existing one. So that's my world right now is, is filling that workshop and, um, and executing it throughout the fall. We're going to do these all throughout next year as well in 2021. Um, and then my podcast three clips and, uh, and the rest of marketing showrunners continues to take up most of my time. Awesome. So we'll definitely link to all of this. If you guys are looking for creating a, a podcast, you're thinking about 
creating that personal, that emotional and human connection with your, with your audience and building your brand over time. I definitely recommend checking Jay's uh, podcast, of course, but also his program where he goes through the motions of fixing or creating your show and understanding what the mission is going to be. Go check it out. We'll link it here. We'll link it in the blog. Jay, this has been incredible. Thank you for your time today. Anything else you want to share? Anything no, this else has been such a treat. Thank you so much. Awesome. For me. Awesome. Thank you for doing this. Always fun. Always great to connect with amazing people that are doing the right thing and not just the right thing in marketing or the right thing in podcast, but also trying to help the world be a better place. So thank you, Jay, for all everything you do. Okay? Thank you. Thanks. Take it easy. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Stay safe. This episode of MarTech Masters was produced and edited by Nextiny Marketing. To watch the series, visit our website at nextinymarketing.com. Subscribe to our channel to keep up to date with the latest news from our friends and MarTech Masters.